Welcome to Warhorn Media's podcast of Out of Minds blog posts. This is episode 54. It's titled, All Scripture is God-Breathed. It's first in a series. It's by Tim Bailey. I'm also your reader. And it's dated January 5, 2023. It is a foundational doctrine of the church. All Christians have confessed with one voice down through history that the Bible is infallible. We believe and confess that when the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, unquote, this is an inspired statement made to us by God himself, that his word is without mistake or error. This is necessarily God's inspired meaning through the Apostle Paul, making his categorical declaration that all scripture is, quote, God-breathed, unquote. The literal translation of the Greek word theopneustos, rendered above in the text, quote, inspired, unquote. Thus, to this day, the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture, quote unquote, is the settled expression of any Orthodox confession of the Church's doctrine of the authority and inspiration of Scripture. Quote, plenary verbal, unquote, which is to say, quote, every last word, unquote. Now, though, there have arisen among us a growing number of men who deny, quote, God breathed, unquote, requires God's actual words be used in their Bible versions. Among conservative scholars formally signed on to statements of faith that require their affirmation of, quote, inerrancy, unquote, as a term of their employment, it has become acceptable to claim God's words themselves need not be translated into English because it is not the words he inspired, but the meaning behind his words. These men don't tell anyone they've changed their doctrinal commitment concerning the authority and inspiration of Scripture. They're still signed on to the word inerrancy formally, since the institutions and publishers who pay them require it. But examine their work and their departure from the Church's historic doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, and it becomes painfully obvious. These men, from among our own number, have removed and replaced thousands of God's words and phrases that violate the present but ever-changing rules of political correctness. They've deleted from their modern Bible products and versions Hebrew and Greek words inspired by God because those words make them squirm in discomfort. They are ashamed of words of God and think nothing of deleting or replacing them with words that don't embarrass them. Words that will go down easier with the people who buy their new Bible versions. These men have done it now in their NASB 20, just as they'd previously done it in their NIV and ESV, as well as all the lesser-known Bible products released over the course of the past 40 years. 
Ten years ago in Daddy Tried, I produced this table showing how Bible scholars and their publishers have spent the past 40 years removing the word Father and its cognates from Scripture. So now I'm going to read the table. The left column is the year of the translation. The middle column is the translation's name. And the third column, the right column, is the number of father words, father and its cognates. First, the year 1611, the King James Version, had 1,720 father and its cognates. Second, 1973, the Revised Standard Version had 1,830 words, father and its cognates. Third, 1984, the New International Version had 1,727 occurrences of father and its cognates. Next, 1989, the New Revised Standard Version had 1,185 occurrences of Father and its Cognates. Then 1996, the New Living Translation had 1,122 occurrences of Father and its Cognates. Then 2002, the Message, 1,022 occurrences of Father and its Cognates. Then 2011, the updated New International Version, 1,338 occurrences of Father and its Cognates. Likely, most readers would expect this of Bible products like the NIV and the Message. We remember the NIV was ground zero of the battle over the neutering of Bibles some of us waged 25 years ago, so who's surprised at its deletion of Father words? Meanwhile, the ESV and NASB Lockman Bible products have a much better reputation, and this better reputation is largely deserved if one is satisfied merely to know the ESV and NASB texts have fewer deletions and replacements of God's Word in His Word than the message, the NRSV, and the NIV. To say the ESV and NASB 20 are better, though, is not much of a commendation, when these Bibles have been produced by men and their publishers who also have given in to PC censorship. Thus today, choosing among the Bible versions being marketed has become a matter of finding the lesser evil. The ESV and NASB 20 only retain some degree of trust because, as the saying goes in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. There are web pages documenting the ESV's many departures from God's words, But here are some of the more egregious. The ESV deletes the word effeminate from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, the Greek word malakoi. King James Version, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The NASB 95, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The ESV, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
So that's the first egregious example. The second is that the ESV changes sons, the Hebrew bane, to people. Exodus 3.14, the NASB 95 reads, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The ESV, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The third example is that the ESV changes men to humans. 1 Corinthians 15, 39, the Greek word is anthropone. King James Version, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. The NASB 95, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. ESV, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And then the final uh, representative example is the ESV deleting the word old wives, graudes, from 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. The King James Version reads, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. The New King James Version, But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. The ESV have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Indicative of the growing hostility today to the male of the species and the desire of Bible scholars and publishers to placate that hostility, the words man and men are used in the SV 496 times fewer than they're used in the NASB 95 and 924 times fewer than they're used in the King James Version. Only simpletons could fail to understand what's going on here. The scholars possessing the terminal degree would multiply arguments and words justifying their removal of man and men. But even they know full well what's going on because they're the ones doing it. They want it themselves, and they know their customers want it too. Of course, when they delete and replace words, God-inspired, they never admit they've deleted and replaced words, God-inspired. The ad copy they write for their present and prospective customers is always the same. Our Bible is absolutely and certainly and completely accurate. Accuracy is what we are and have always been about. We have no higher commitment than accuracy. These scholars and their Bible publishers say things like this, our Bible is absolutely and certainly and completely faithful to the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek words. Trust us. We believe in giving our readers the very words God inspired. We would never, ever do otherwise, and that's why you can trust us. That's why you should buy our new Bible translation, which is, we remind you once more, completely accurate and completely faithful to the literal Greek and Hebrew words, the very words inspired by God. Now, listen, you might object, this is not in the post, but you might object to me reading it with that inflection. 
But it's time we all recognize that we're dealing with ads. We're dealing with marketers. Now, this is the ad actual ad copy for the recent NASB 20. In other words, I'm not making this up. This is exactly what they write. Quote, the purpose of our NASB 20 is to increase accuracy. The result is an accurate translation. Accuracy will always and forever be the unmovable cornerstone of our translation philosophy. Our Bible is accurate. Our translation approach is accurate and precise. The NASB has been produced with the conviction that the words of Scripture as originally penned in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek are inspired by God. Therefore, every word must be accurate and precise. These words are the living and eternal word of God. We firmly believe the NASB provides an accurate and precise English translation. The NASB was translated with accuracy and precision to ensure every reader is experiencing an incredibly accurate translation from the original languages. The NASB 2020 further improves accuracy. These refinements maintain faithful accuracy to the original text. In our NASB, we accurately translate the inspired Word of God from the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek texts into modern English, enabling the reader to study Scripture in its most literal format. And finally, the literalness of the original manuscripts is not sacrificed. Unquote. From Bibles such as the New International Version and English Standard Version released the past couple of decades, to the New American Standard Bible 2020, and the most recent Legacy Standard Bible 2021 released in the past two years, all these Bibles have the same ad copy claiming the same highest view of Scripture, the same highest accuracy. But remember Emerson's dictum, the louder he talked of his honor, the faster we counted our spoons. How do they justify their claims that their highest commitment is to the original Hebrew and Greek words inspired by God? Have Bible scholars exchanged some secret handshake and taken some secret oath of submission to the club of deconstructionists holed up in higher ed's English lit and philosophy departments. But more importantly, why does the church not demonstrate any ability to expose and oppose the lies of higher education infiltrating her own faith and practice? Why does the church continue pouring money in the coffers of these men and their publishers, refusing to say a simple no to their PC deconstructions of Scripture? The man who affirms that Scripture is God-breathed, while denying it it is God's words themselves that are God-breathed, is the man who wants the appearance of godliness while denying the power thereof. Men who separate the infallibility of God's Word from the infallibility of God's words do so for reasons we're all well aware of. Only a few of us have refused to adopt the neutered PC language mandated by worldlings. Christians hide among the worldlings, adopting their words and phrases, changing the way we speak and write, so that we leave behind those truths of God we're uncomfortable with. Those words, the authors of Scripture and the God who inspired them, got wrong. 
Those words, the authors of Scripture and the God who inspired them, were unaware would be offensive to us today. Those words, the authors of Scripture and the God who inspired them, used simply because they weren't able to see how 2,000 and more years later the world would be extremely concerned, or should we say militantly concerned, about slavery and racism and sexism and cisgenderism and speciesism and anti-Semitism. But no, I've wearied myself and will stop here. There's no end to it. So Scripture is in the hands now of insecure men scurrying about trying to clean up after God and his apostles. And yes, most certainly, this work requires that we separate God's words from God's meanings, thereby also separating the God-breathedness and man-breathedness of Scripture. We're all PC now. Who among us still uses men to refer to any mixed-sex group? God named our race Adam or man. God did not name our race Eve or woman. God did not name our race Adam, Eve, or Eve, Adam, man, woman, or woman, man. And God certainly never named our race persons or humans. The name God gave our race has an explicit, easily recognizable, semantic meaning component that is male. And that is what all of us now gag, silence, delete, forget, and refuse to teach our children. In other words, these men who dare to remove God's words from his word only do so to appease and please us, their customers. After all, we've been doing so ourselves for decades now, and requiring it of our preachers and teachers also. So I guess it would be accurate to say we have the Bibles we want. The Bibles we have demanded our sore bonus produce for us. The Bibles we want our publishers to keep printing and selling us. To be continued. Thank you for listening. Do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast too. Tell your friends they can now subscribe to audio recordings of Warhorn posts. We depend on you as our only marketing. Until our next post, stay warm, devote yourself to loving your neighbor, and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is Tim Bailey saying thank you for giving us a listen. Goodbye. desire.